0: Grab your bulletin and open it, if you will. Grab your bulletin. On the center part is where I'm going to be. So we continue our series on 11,000 days, and we've talked about how God is truly for you and your story matters and has redemptive value. Every person in this room, your story matters to God, and God desires to bring about incredible transformation and just a renovation of your soul, if you will. God wants to do that with every one of us. And it blows my mind that he can take uh, even the dirtiest of lives and clean them up and give them uh, direction and meaning. We talked about how the unscripted life is the only one worth living. When we start to really live by faith and trust God, it's amazing to see how God can uh, work in your story. I want to share just a few principal thoughts with you today as I continue that. And the first one would be this. The first one would be this. God desires to free us from guilt and shame. There's so many people that we encounter and so many people that we dialogue with that continue to live in what I call habitual defeat. And what they've done is they've allowed those scars and those pain stories of yesterday to keep you locked up. Now, when you define guilt, guilt is based on something you, you've done. But shame is almost an identity statement. It's based on who you are. Where, where guilt is affiliated with an activity, shame becomes almost your identity. So when you start to look at those stories of your life and where you've been and how you've done things, my, my, my concern and heart for you is so many people that walk into church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday they live in a shame-based economy. They, they, they've allowed those failures, that uh, abuse of yesterday, the abortion, the alcohol, the porn, the drug addiction, whatever, they've allowed that to become the very essence of their identity. And, and so when they go through life, you see them, they live in defeat, not in victory. They live beat down and not in the joy of the Lord because they live out of shame. Out of shame. And if we ever get the scripture right, where Paul writes in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we get John 8 right, the son has set us free and we're free in deed. We start to move in that victorious life, that abundant life that God has called us to. Paul would say it this way in Romans 7. You know the good? I want to do, I don't always do it. And the bad I don't want to do, I end up doing at times. Come on. Every person in this room can identify with Paul's struggle in Romans 7. He's like, man, I want to do good, but I don't. I want to really trust God and live by the Spirit and walk in grace, but I don't. I don't want to go back to the performance law-based mindset of guilt and shame, but I do. And then he makes this statement. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me and set me free from this body of death? Who will deliver me and set me free from this body of death? Now, one of the biggest teachings in my life and one of the greatest cemented truths in my life was God giving me illumination and revelation of what this was all about. I wanted to walk into Romans 8.1. I wanted to live in this, there's no condemnation for those in Christ, but I was still living as a wretched old pitiful man. Here's the portrait. So it's the portrait of a soldier Paul uses in that day who found himself engaged in frontline battle. And so this soldier finds himself being penetrated by the enemy's bullets, if you will. And as he's knocked down and unable to get up, blood is starting to drip. Life is starting to leak. And he sees himself in this pitiful condition and he cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. Anybody ever been there? You're like, I just can't get up another day. I just do not have within me the power to overcome this struggle, this addiction, this relationship, this betrayal, this abuse. I just can't do it. And that, that's the portrait of he's painting this soldier saying, that, that, that's what the old wretched, pitiful man looks like. And he's crying out, who will deliver me? Who will set me free from me? Who will set me free from my circumstances? Who will set me free from this body of death? Here's the portrait. Body of death is one of the most powerful phrases for me in that text. And once this illumination and Revelation happened, I'm like, Wow. It changed the way I did life. Uh, it, it, it was in the tribes of Tarshish, if you will, of that day where Paul is from. Uh, if, if you and I, Thomas, got into an argument in a heated debate, and all of a sudden we're just, just going at it, and you're going, I had enough, and you take out your thirty-eight cowboy weapon and blow me away. And all of a sudden there's witnesses that see what went down. What would happen is, Thomas, you would be brought before the courts and you would stand before the courts and the judge would look at you and he would say, Thomas Pickens, we have evidence that demands a verdict that you are guilty of murdering and killing Tim Cash. And so he would look at you and say, Thomas Pickens, your sentence is going to be this body of death. And so what they would do is they would open up the doors of the courtroom and a couple of the bailiffs would drag in my dead body and they would pull me in and in front of the court, Thomas, they would take my body and they would tie me limb to limb, torso to torso, back to back next to you. And your sentence for killing me would be carrying me until the spoils and the ruins and the toxins and the rottenness of me, my dead corpse eventually rotted you and killed you from the outside in. You were sentenced to death by the body of death. And that's the reason when Paul writes, who will set me free from this body of death, from all of this stuff I've done in yesterday, with all of this shame, and guilt, and all of these memories, and all of this, thanks be to God for Jesus who was willing to come once and for all and take all of my past and nail it to the tree and say, I I don't hold your past against you any longer. But there's a lot of people that walk in here feel like, Deep in your soul, you're doing God this act of worship by carrying all your junk, your sin from yesterday, and you feel like it's part of your sentence and almost assignment before God. But what you're doing is you're continuing to live in defeat because every morning you get up and you see that old wretched man that you are, and you're trying to carry him around. You haven't let Jesus set you free. So once we understand, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse and to cut the ties and to set us free from all of that. Anybody want to be free today? Anybody tired of dragging around old skeletons that have no life to them? Anybody need to let something in your past go today and give it to the Lord? He's already nailed it to the cross. Then and only then can you get to that place of Galatians 2.20 where you say, I've been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I that lives, but it's now Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So one of the things I want you to know and a timeless truth that God rocked me with was, I do not have to live in shame or in guilt or in condemnation any longer. Because if the Son sets you free... You're free indeed. Last July, I, I started meeting with this young man. He, uh, he contacted me, and he came over to the office for the very first time, and we sat down and talked. And last July, I saw this guy start to move into freedom in Christ and over the last 16 to 17 months, I've seen a major transformation of the, the working of the Holy Spirit in a guy's life when he gets a hold of his heart. And I asked Antonio Davis, my buddy, if he would share a little bit of his testimony with you this morning. Give it up for Antonio.
1: I had surgery a little, about six weeks ago, so I'm not quite there, but how's everybody this morning? Good, good. Um, and you would think this gets easier. I just did this a little bit ago. Um, and after all the thousands of people I played in front of and all the people that have yelled at me, you would think coming up here would be pretty easy. <laughs> but I guess when you're, you know, telling your story for a different reason, it's really not that easy. Anyway, oh and yes, I, you're wondering. You haven't asked. I'm 6'10. <laughs> I used to play a little bit of basketball, and I'm more than willing to talk about that some other time. So just just approach me. Come with it. Um, so I grew up in Oakland, California. Uh, that's Northern California, Bay Area. And um, for those of you who don't know, and I, I hate painting such a negative picture, but I mean we're talking. Black Panther, you know, drugs, gangs, whatever. And I did all this without my dad. So I grew up in this place, um, unlike some big cities, um, without my dad. Kind of guy. He was there, but um, he just took no interest in me. And um, I'm not saying that for a pity party. It is what it is. You know, so... My, my growing up was with my grandma and my mom. Um, took me to church. We went to a AME church. And I really didn't even know what that meant until I was home a couple weeks ago, or last weekend, and it's an African Methodist Episcopal church. Um, <laughs> I, be, because I study now a little bit more, I've looked that up. I know what it means now. But when I was a young kid, all it meant was boring, <laughs> songs, and when we finished, we were going to get something to eat. <laughs> so I wasn't learning much in church, but believe me, it was, it was something that I remember. Um, then I, I got to high school, and, and my first girlfriend, her mom, was really in the church. And they went to a Baptist church. I don't know if you've been to a good Baptist church, but there's a lot of good music. There's people talking funny. I don't know what they're saying, but it scared me. Uh, There's a lot of people jumping around in the aisles. And it was all good. It was entertaining. So at least I was entertained. I wasn't bored. But I still wasn't really learning anything. And then I thought about it. I wasn't even really there to worship. I was there for my girlfriend because if I got in good with her... Who knows what would happen? But anyway, I was very lucky to grow a little bit. And as my grandma say, don't screw it up. God gave you a gift. I got tall, started playing some basketball, and I got a basketball scholarship. So I went to school at uh, University of Texas at El Paso and uh, played four years of basketball there. And after my junior year, this girlfriend, we had a child. And uh, it really just, it changed my life. Because all of a sudden, I wasn't a kid anymore. I was supposedly a man with at least some purpose now. I have to go on and study, and, and from what I understood, make money, take care of my kid, protect this woman and my daughter. So anyway, I played well enough. Um, I got drafted by the Indiana Pacers in 1990 wonderful thing Um, but I decided not to go skinny kid no confidence and it wasn't something I was ready to do so I played ball overseas for three years I played in Greece for two years and I played in Italy for a year and that first year in Greece we had another child and I mentioned that because there wasn't in my family and I get married later, but in my family, there was nobody married. And some had kids and some didn't. I had four aunts, two uncles, um, and nobody was married. So I didn't understand that. And I looked back on it a lot of times and there was you know, a lot of guilt crept in because I felt like I didn't wanna raise my kids like that. It was something that I, I took a lot of pride in, but when it happened, it just happened and I had to deal with it. So I played my three years in Europe. I come back to the States, um, and the next 18 months was just just changed my life. It was crazy. From September of 1993, I come back. I signed this huge um, multi-million dollar contract with the Indiana Pacers. In January of the following year, I met this wonderful woman. We dated and we got married in September of 94. In March of 95, we had twins. And in April of 95, we bought this huge house. So in 18 months, my life went from here where I was really already overwhelmed with two kids not knowing what really to do, not knowing how to be the man that they needed me to be and be the head of that household, to now I got a wife, I got this money, I got these kids, and on top of that, just the everyday pressure of trying to stay on a professional basketball team. I don't even remember after that a day where I woke up and I didn't feel this, this heaviness and this burden of of taking on that responsibility and not knowing what to do, pretty much guessing day-to-day, moment-to-moment, what am I supposed to be doing? How am I going to be this man for my family? How am I going to do it? So a lot of times, like I said, just, just overwhelmed and trying to fill that void and that pain um, with, pretty much everything but the right thing <laughs> you name it there was alcohol and, and drugs and whatever and basketball start to suffer but for some reason I continued to press on because that's all I knew and day upon day it got heavier and heavier and on top of that there was a lot of other things that I was dealing with even before I got to that point let's sit down for a second um So early on, um, I got introduced to pornography really early. Um, My mom, single mom, um, used to go to bed, and for those of you who don't know, the younger ones, TV used to go off. So you hear this, "Eh," and I'm doing my homework, and I had to go in there and take my mom's glasses off, set them on a nightstand, and turn the TV off. So I go to do this, this one time I turn around and, and that's when HBO and Showtime was coming on and, and I turn and I look at the TV and I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away at what I see. And it just kind of changed the way I viewed women and sex. And so I start using women and sex as much as alcohol just to kind of fill this void, to take that weight off so that I wouldn't feel so heavy just about life each and every day um so anyway i i got through 13 years of um, playing professional ball Um, great time met a lot of great people played in a lot of great places did a lot of great things and um, i retired in 2006. Um, after we retired we're living in chicago and i'm from california I mean, I've lived in some very cold places, but I never thought of retiring somewhere cold. My wife is from Chicago, so I really didn't have a choice. So we were going to retire in Chicago. So one April day, it starts snowing. And I turned to her. I said, honey, this is just, uh, this, uh, this is just not going to happen. We packed up everything the next couple of months, and we moved to Atlanta. And I've been here since 09. Um, um, what I found out. Um, after I retired, is I suffered from depression. And what happened is when you grow up from where I grew up, your, really your purpose is to make money, get out of that situation, take care of your family, and, do, and, and, and be able to live a great life. Well, what happens when you accomplish that? So what happens when all the happens? Are you just supposed to die now? Is, is life over? I, that's just kind of how I felt. Like, who am I now? What am I supposed to be doing? If I have done all these things that I set my mind to, what is my purpose now? And I struggle with that daily, and things got worse. So I, I sat in the house, sat in this theater, and there would be days where I just wouldn't leave. And I was just really spiraling out of control because here it is once again. I've done everything. I've lived the life that this world said that I was supposed to live, you know, and I'm not bragging, but I had nice cars, lived in big houses, ate the best foods. I've done all these different things that life is supposed to tell me that I'm supposed to do and have, Yet, I had nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. I'm sitting in this house, and the world says that, this, that I've made it. I, I, I've made it. There's nothing else for you to do now but sit back and just live. But yet, I had absolutely nothing. And my wife and I start growing apart, and things just start spiraling out of control. Luckily, um, I was at least aware of enough to know that something was going on, so I went to a therapist. Therapy started working. I start getting better. Things start getting better. So I asked, <laughs> I asked this therapist, I said, you know, I need to get into a men's group. I need to find some other men who understand me, who want to talk about the same things, who feel some of the same things, and we have similar stories. So there, there was this group with a ton of businessmen and, and other things, but in order to get into the group, you had to call this man. So I said, okay, give me the number. Went and uh, tossed the number around for a little while, but I eventually make this call, and this call was to Tim Cash. And so I called, we set up an appointment, and uh, i never forget, it was July 23rd, as he said, of last year, and I called him up, and we finally get together. I walk in late, and um, he, he didn't make a big deal out of it, but he later said, listen, my time is very valuable. If you're going to meet, you be on time. So that's the first lesson I've learned from Tim Cash is never be late. So I, I've probably been late a couple times, but I've called ahead of time. Um, so I sat down and began to talk to Tim, began to talk to me. And for some reason, I felt this sense of, man, I know this dude from somewhere. We just connected on so many levels. I became so vulnerable, willing to talk about any and everything. I almost felt like, man, I'm telling this guy a little bit too much, you know, but it felt good. And it felt right. And so we're talking and laughing and and joking and, and getting to know each other. And then all of a sudden, I can see him kind of change the temperature of the room. And this smile kind of turned into this serious look. And I'm like, okay, something's about to happen. So he said to me, he asked me a question So, what's your purpose? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got him. I've rehearsed this a million times. People have asked me. I know what my purpose is. So I'm telling him, man, I just want to be a great dad. I got kids. I want to be a great husband. I just want to be a great example for other young men. I'm doing it. He's shaking his head. I'm like, yeah, I got him. I'm not going to have to talk about this much longer. I got him. So he's shaking his head, and he's smiling. And all of a sudden, like that, that same serious look came back on his face. And he said, no, I asked you, what is your purpose? And I'm like, come on, dude. I just, I just gave you my best shot. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do now? You know? So I looked at him, and I put my head down. And I, I really just had to confess, you know what? I really don't know. And looking back on it, I'd served my purpose. To me, life was over. What else was I supposed to be doing? I had no other purpose. So he began to talk to me a little bit and uh, little did I know over the next couple hours, um, my life would be totally changed. And I, I can't begin to put into words The things that he said to me and how it made me feel and the things that i never ever felt before and you talk about purpose it was seeming like this man was resuscitating me and giving me a true purpose and right then and there he asked me was i ready and as many times before when people said are you really ready to surrender are you really ready I mean, I've said yes, but I wasn't really ready. And he said, listen, if you're ready, it has to be 100%. It can't be 80, it can't be 90. It has to be 100%. And so I said yes. And uh, shortly after, um, I cried. And it was something that I needed to do for a very, very long time. Just because, I mean, I grew up and it just was something you weren't supposed to do. You're taught in basketball, don't show you're hurt, don't show you're nervous, don't show you're you're hurt, any of that. So I never cried. But this cry wasn't really of pain, it was really of joy because I was just so tired. I was tired of guessing, I was tired of living the way that I was living. I was tired of letting my family down. I was tired of looking at my son and not having answers. I was just so tired. And so I I surrendered and I I, I just gave it up. I asked the Lord to come into my life. And he's just been changing me day by day. By day. By day. And it really has been um, an awesome experience for me. It's been something that I'm so appreciative that I just made that call, and I talked to Tim, and it wasn't even about the men's group, I guess God was leading me to him, and I'm um, just so thankful, there's so many things that has changed in my life, Um, he told me to start off by, I have to know my purpose, so he told me to go read The Purpose Driven Life, 40 days, I did it twice, I wanted to make sure because (laughs) if I make a purpose this time (laughs) and if I do this again, I'm just going to die. I mean, I have to know what my purpose is. And it's really been awesome to kind of fellowship. It's been awesome to come in here. And I so appreciated the love that I felt in this room from different people who I don't even know. who's just come up to me just because you guys really don't know. What that does to me, it just gives me so much hope and so much energy, and I thank each and every one of you. Um, uh, Wednesdays have just been awesome for me. Um, I I come here, and Wednesdays is is the day we meet, and I I love spending time with Tim. But, you know, the other guys, Nick, Nick is always in the room tuning up one of his instruments, and... You know, Trevor's down there getting fired up for Wednesday evening with the kids. I love going to talk to him, basketball, giving him a big hug. Smack every time I see him, he's grabbing me and kissing me. It weirds me out a little bit, but I love him. (laughs) I love him. From day one, he hasn't changed. He hugged and kissed me from day one, and this morning he did the exact same thing. So I definitely love him for that. And, and Steve kind of walks around looking a little, little crazy sometimes. And Neil has always been great. I'm going to pick my car up soon, Neil. Don't, don't worry about it. But these men that I'm surrounding myself with, it's just been, oh, my God, i thank him for it because, and I don't want to weird Tim out, but I go to his house sometimes and I just hang out. And what's crazy is, is I watch him interact with his wife and the way they do life, the way they raise their kids. And it's such a loving atmosphere. And it's just such a blessing to sit there and kind of witness that because for so long, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And I stand here at... 46, and it's still not too late. I still got a son who's 20 years old, who's one day gonna have a son, and I can teach him how to be a man now. I have daughters who is a different story. (laughs) We went skeet shooting a couple weeks ago, and I know how to use a shotgun now, so I'm going to be a different kind of dad when it comes to that. That's different, you know. So uh, I learned new ways. I mean, all I used to know about kids is, man, you do something wrong, you get a whooping. I grew up like that. So that's all I knew to do. But I have so many other things now that, um, that I'm doing, and I know that they come from a good place, and they're going to help my kids grow to be wonderful kids. Um, there's a passage here that, for me, kind of sums up where I've been and what's been going on, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 13 11. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put those childish things away. I would like to think from the help of these men I've surrounded myself with and the things that I'm doing now that I will become the man my family needs me to be, that I will lighten up this burden and not feel this guilt and shame anymore, that I will be able to stand as I am 6'10 and walk around confident knowing that I'm not walking by myself. I don't have to guess anymore, I don't have to wonder, I don't have to be confused, I don't have to be heavy, I don't have to mask anything with anything, because I do have that light inside of me, I have a God that I can pray to, that's forgiving, that's loving, and he's going to continue to love me each and every day, and, and it's just a wonderful feeling, and um, I forgot this last time, and Tim told me I better read it, so if Tim tell me to read it, I better, um, he asked me a couple of things that were really weird. He asked me to write a letter from God to myself, which I did. And then he asked me to write a letter from my dad to myself. My dad passed away when I was a senior in high school at 17. And I really didn't have a conversation with him, any meaningful one that I can remember today. But um, I wasn't able to write that letter, and I'm still not there yet. So pray for me about that one. But one day I'll write that one, and I'll be freed of of that bondage also. Um, But I did write this one. It said, Dear Antonio, this is your creator. This is your heavenly father. I designed you for a purpose. Although you may not know your purpose, I do. Have faith that all I do is by design and not by accident. Trust that your life has not been a waste because I've been watching you, and I'm a forgiving God. I'm a loving God. I knew you were going to be a sinner. I knew you would have kids out of wedlock. I knew you would be an habitual adulterer. I knew that you would be a user and abuser of drugs and alcohol. I knew it. And in spite of all this, I still love you. I sent my son to die for your sins because I knew. All I require of you is to spell out. Is spelled out in my word in 1 John 1, 9. Remember this verse. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? If so, why do you not forgive yourself? Why do you carry all this shame and guilt with you? Now, have you got to decide how you want to live the rest of your life, you've been guessing and running for a long time. Aren't you tired? There's so many times you were close to giving it all to me, only to hold on to your worldly desires. Well, it's time. It's time to let go. I have big plans for you. You've got to trust that I'll be fulfilled, that you will fulfill more than anything you ever experienced. I will be here waiting with my arms open, waiting for the son I love and created. There's nothing you can do to earn what I have for you, nothing to prepare for. Just trust me and love me. Are you ready? Your father. And I wrote that, and I one day Tim sent it to me, and I'm like, did I write that or did you write that? But it just has gone to show, you know, kind of this transformation. And in closing, I, am, I have so much hope now where I didn't before. We've been studying, and um, we were in Ephesians. So I'm fired up, but Tim is, is telling us, where well, you got to know everybody's story. So when I see Ephesians and Paul wrote Ephesians, I said, well, i get—I got to get to know Paul before I read Ephesians. So I'm looking, looking, looking for Paul. There's no Paul. It's Saul. So um, I'm reading up on Saul, and Saul was basically a Christian terrorist to me. I mean, he was dragging people out of their house, taking them to jail, killing them, doing all kind of stuff. And then one day, he changed this man, Saul, into Paul, a man of his own heart. And if he can do that for Saul, I can't wait for what he's going to do for me.
0: How about that? Antonio, here's something I wrote a few years back, bro. I call now. The past is history. The future is a mystery. All I have is the present now. With shame-filled yesterdays and fear-crippling tomorrows, I choose to cling to the present now. Who I was and what I did competes with who I am and where I'm going. I desire to live in the present now. The stains of the flesh and the guilt of my selfishness nailed to a tree, yet at times still haunting me, I will dwell in the present now. What the future holds no longer controls me. Who holds the future now consumes me. I will rest in the present now. Releasing control of what was and what is. I'm bondage free. I've let go. I'm celebrating the moment. I'm embracing the now. God wants to free you today. God wants to unlock you. I'll wrap it with this. I've come to realize that God desires to free you of all guilt and shame, all condemnation. O oh, wretched man that I am, I have been set free by the shed blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm free indeed today. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not continue to be a slave to all that bondage of yesterday. Let me close you with this thought. That to live a life of freedom in Christ, you've got to know who you are. You've got to like who you are so that you can be who you are. You've got to know who you are. Inside your bulletin, you'll find this whole thing of identity in Christ. And I would highly encourage you to take that and even tear it off and put it on your mirror in your bathroom or whatever. Whatever. But I would highly encourage you to read who God says you are, that you are loved and you are accepted and you are secure and you're a significant and you're his child and you're his friend and you're a joint heir, beloved saint. You're justified. You're no longer condemned. This ain't nothing but truth right here. And I heard a long time ago that when you come to know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so I would highly encourage you to get to know who you are in Christ. You've got to believe what God believes about you, and you've got to believe what God says about you, and you've got to walk in that every day. If you do, I'm telling you, the chains can be broken. Just in 16 months of watching this man walk, after that point of surrender, initial surrender, it's been day after day of surrendering again and again and again. You surrender. You repent and you respond to the good news of the gospel, but you continue to surrender every day. You crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and you say, I'm surrendering one more day. Would you take the pen, God, again and write the narrative story that you want my life to have? It'll change who you are. I would highly encourage you to read Psalm 139 and personalize it. That would be an assignment that I would highly encourage you to take away. Psalm 139 is such an incredible psalm. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know every thought, every moment you know where I am. Such knowledge is too great for me. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go to the place of the dead, you're there. Your strength will support me. You made all these delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mom's womb. Thank you that I am so wonderful and complex made by you. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. And then David says, search me and know my heart, O God. Test me and see if there's any thoughts of anxiety or stress going on inside of me. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me into your everlasting life. If you took that psalm right there, Psalm 139, and if you were to take that psalm right there and you were to personalize it and write that psalm out, And just say, hey, I'm gonna write this to me. Just like Antonio said, I wrote a letter to me from God. You take that Psalm 139 and personalize it to you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me. God knows me. God leads me. God searches me. God is for me. God cares about me. I mean, it is totally, totally amazing to see what God can do when a person becomes free. You were born an original, you don't have to die a copy. Comparison is the death of contentment. God made you, and he's for you. And when you really come to that place of saying, all right, here's my purpose. My purpose is to know God, is to walk with God, is to worship God, is to glorify God. I got lied to a long time ago. It wasn't to box out Patrick Ewing in game five of an now, you know, NBA Eastern Conference Championship. It wasn't to get the ball and throw it off the of Reggie Miller where he could take it down and shoot it. No, 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 no. It wasn't just to make a lot of money. It wasn't to drive the nicest Escalade. It wasn't to have these 8 to 10 bathrooms in his house. That's not your purpose. That's just something you did. Your purpose is to know God, enjoy God, glorify God, and to walk with God. That's your purpose. So it doesn't matter what job you have. Doesn't matter how tall you are. Doesn't matter what color of skin you got. They're just earth suits. They're human uniforms. We only wear them for a period of time and we're going to drop them off like my man Julian did yesterday. We only get them for a little bit. We stand in line for them. Doesn't matter. What matters is when you come to know your purpose for living. And the Holy Spirit starts to unlock you from the inside out. Then you can go, man, I know life now. I understand life now. And that's what we want to celebrate, celebrate here, boss. We want to see many, many stories of transformation like Antonio, like Matt. Like Amanda, all these people that have been sharing their story, and there's going to be some more, Mickey and Kim and Barb and Patrick and Nick. There's going to be a group of them sharing a little bit next week, and I'm like, check them out. Listen to how God has just rocked their world. You know why these people are sharing their stories? Because your story matters and has redemptive value. Your story matters. When you look in the mirror, just go, yes, you. Psalm 139, who you are in Christ and believe it and walk in it. This ain't believing and receiving. This is believing and trusting what God says about you.